front, I'll come to you. How's that sound? What a joy to be here today. This morning, getting to experience new birth in Christ, uh, getting to see how God moves and works, and see how that we can, we can reach out to Jesus in those great moments of distress. As we watched, we walked through the, the biblical text this morning. But let me ask you this. Have you ever thought that Jesus reaches out to you to ask you to do things that you probably would never do without him asking? So we, reach, we, we looked this morning at this idea that, that when we get into our desperate situations, we have to go to Jesus and we have to fall at his feet so that he can do what he has already promised to do in our lives. This evening, we're going to look at uh, Matthew chapter 14. Because I want you to see that Jesus is asking you to do things that you never thought were possible. And sometimes you've got to reach out to him because he's extending his hand for you to come and do great things. So in Matthew chapter 14... Um, this is a, we're going to go into a story that we've all heard probably a million times. It's Peter walking on the water. But I want to give us a setting for this story that may give you a little bit more context of what Jesus is asking them to do or asking Peter to do when he steps out in faith. So Matthew 14 starts with the, with the death of John the Baptist. And we know that John the Baptist is Jesus' cousin. And so Jesus receives word that John has died or John has been murdered. And Jesus at that point, you, you, can, you can tell as you read the text that Jesus, when he hears about John, it really sinks into his soul that his cousin is dead. And I can imagine in that time that when he hears this message, if he's like any other, anybody else who's human, which we all are human and he was human, there's this sensation of, now what? Or what's going to happen? Or, you know what, I just need some time alone. I just need some time to be by myself. Because that's the way we deal with grief. It's to need some time to be by yourself. And what's so interesting in the story is Jesus goes through the story. When he's needing this time to be alone, the story says that people followed him everywhere. Have you ever been at one of those moments that you needed to grieve or you needed to be by yourself and you have to be around people? Now, the story is that Jesus was there and he got the news of John and he and and he looks up and there's thousands of people around him. And it says he's moved to compassion. And so he heals. He he cast out demons and so in this whole time that he's needing this alone time, he is surrounded by people doing miracles, doing wonders and things that could no one else could do but him. And he's been doing this in the Texas. He does this all day long. I mean, and we're talking for the time he gets up to the time he goes to bed or time for dinner. He's been doing everything for other people the entire day. And towards the end of the day, his disciples come to him. And they say, Jesus, 
what are we going to do about food? We've got 5,000 people here. And Jesus and the text says that it's 5,000 men. So we could probably add another 5,000 women or even in a few children. So we're talking maybe, maybe 10 to 15,000 people surrounding Jesus at this moment. And the disciples are asking, okay, what are we going to do about food? And what's interesting to me is Jesus doesn't tell them what he's going to do. He says, you give them food. They're wanting to know what Jesus wants to do about food. And he says, well, you feed them. Talking to the disciples, he says, you feed them. And then they lose it. They're, they lose control and they're like, well, how are we going to do that? Because we only have a few fish and a few pieces of bread and there's so many people. Can you imagine Jesus' frustration? He has done nothing but miracles all day long. And they're like, what's he going to do now? What can we do now? And they basically turn to Jesus and say, that's impossible. We can't do that. It's impossible for us to do that because we don't have the capability to do that. And so he asked them, what do you have? What can you do for me? Or what can you, what do you have? He says, okay, we've got this little bitty, and we've got this little bit amount of food, and we've got this, and we've got that. And Jesus says, okay, bring it to me. Set them in groups. And when he prayed, he began to break the bread, break the fish, and guess what? They all ate. I remember when I was a kid, and Dad had gone to Sunset, and we were poor back then. We'd go to McDonald's, and we'd get two small hamburgers and two fries and split it between the seven of us. But Jesus takes less food than that and feeds thousands of people. Even so much that we, the, the, the biblical text tells us he said had 12 baskets left over of food. And so once the people are fed, once they've seen another miracle that he asked the disciples to do, but they refused to do or thought they couldn't do, we see in the text that the people leave. They go home for the night. And at that point, Jesus finally is going to get his time alone. He sends disciples off in the boat to go across to the Sea of, Gal go across the sea of Galilee. And Jesus decides to go up to the mountain by himself and spend time with God and to find that solitary place to be with God. I would have been looking for a place to go to bed. But he knows that he needs to be with his father in this grieving process. In this healing process. In this casting out demon process. He knows that now he needs his time with God. So he goes off into the mountains and the disciples get in the boat and they try to go across the, the Sea of Galilee. And guess what? If I were a disciple, I'd get tired of going across the Sea of Galilee because it seems like every time they go... There's a storm. And this storm comes upon them, and this storm is raging, and this storm is, is, is causing all kinds of chaos, and they're being beat down, and they've been trying all night to get across. And they can't get to the other side. You know something that's interesting, though, about this text? All 12 disciples are in the boat, but only four of them are fishermen. How do you think the other eight are feeling about being in a boat on a storm? Peter, James, and John were fishermen, and they'd grown up fishing, and they knew what storms were like. But the others 
did not. And so there's this panic among this boat of what's going on. And they've been fighting this all night because it says Jesus came to them between the, between the third and ninth hour. So he came between 3 and 6 a.m. And so they've been fighting for eight hours in this storm, trying to figure out how to get across or how to get out of this. And in that process... I can imagine thinking, because I, I, you know, being up in Alaska at different times, when you get into these storms, you're like, I hope they can recognize the bodies that float ashore. That's how they're thinking. They're thinking they're going to die. They're thinking it's all over with. And here we are. Jesus is not asleep in the boat like we talked about this morning. Jesus is not even with us at that point. And so they're pretty desperate. This is the life or death situation for them. And we know that Jesus comes to them at the early morning hours. And when he starts walking across the water, he comes towards them and he gets to, close to them and they recognize something. You're in a storm. You're scared for your lives. And you see something walking on water that you could, didn't even know could do that. How do you respond? The text says they said it's a ghost. But I think it probably went something more like this. Ah, it's a ghost. It's not just, oh, it's a ghost. No, they, were, they were legitimately scared of what was going on because now there's this creature or this person walking on water, breaking the physical dimensions of what they could do. And here they are in the middle of a storm coming towards them. Now, are you with me in the boat? You see where they are? You see what kind of situation they're finding themselves? It's really interesting because it's almost as desperate as the situation as we saw this morning between Jairus and the demon-possessed man and the woman who had been ill for 12 years. It's a very desperate, dire situation that the disciples find themselves in. And they can't really even believe that it's that, that what's going on because it's not right in their physical minds of what this is going to take place. And Jesus reaches out and he says, don't worry. It's me. Don't worry. Take heart. Do not be afraid. What would you do? What would you do? Well, Peter, we know, Peter's always the, the one the first to speak and his impetuousness and his desire to be who he needs to be. He says, Jesus, if it's really you, what does he say? If it's really you, call me to come to you in this storm. Call me to come to you in this raging place and call me to come to you and defy all the physics that we know to exist. And Jesus says, Come. What's interesting is it's not a, if you look at that text and you look at that word where he says come, it's not an optional thing. It's an imperative statement that he says, you ask for it, you get on the water and come to me. He's not saying if you want to. He's not saying if you think about it or you might enjoy it. He says, get out and come to me. And I can just see Peter and his challenge to go be with God, prove to me, God, that you are who you say. Or Jesus, prove to me who you say you are. And Jesus says, come. And now Peter's like, uh-oh. Now what am I going to do? I challenged him and he said, come. 
wait a minute, Jesus, I was, I was, I was really not, I really didn't want that to happen. I just, I just wanted you to tell me it was you. No, I said, no, no, Lord, I think I can stay right here where I am. Because Peter knew from his years of fishing that his safest place to be at that moment was in that boat. And one of the first things they taught us in Alaska, that if the boat goes down, stay as close to the boat as you can. Because the closer you are to the boat, the better chances of survival. Or the better chances of finding you. So Peter now has to decide in this situation, is he going to do what he asked God to do for him? Or is he going to stay in his protective cocoon, which he knew to be the boat? If you were on the boat, would you go? What's interesting, too, in that text is that I imagine, now it doesn't say this, but I imagine that he probably, everyone who was there on the boat probably heard him say, come. I don't think Peter's the only one who heard it. You think? So probably all of them heard him say, get out of the boat and come to me. And then Peter's struggling with this idea. And so Peter eventually knows that if he gets out of this boat, he's going to defy everything that he knows humanly possible. They have just seen the miracles. They have just seen the healings. They have just seen him provide food for 5,000 people. But guess what? Only one gets out of the boat. They've seen five loaves and two fish turn into food for thousands of people and have leftovers. But most of them, because we know the story, besides Peter, decide to stay in their protective cocoon. So the question I have for you is, what is your boat? If Jesus has called you or Jesus calls you to step out in faith in something that doesn't make any sense, something that doesn't make any logical process, and Jesus is asking you to step out in faith, what's your boat that's going to hold you back? Because it held 11 of the 12 back. Is that boat a boat of unbelief? Is that boat one that says, oh, I really don't believe that Jesus is going to do this? Or is it, I don't believe yet that it's going to be something that Jesus is actually going to follow through? Maybe you haven't given your life to the Lord. Maybe you have, but you're still waiting for something in that process. Is it a boat of self-centeredness? Is it a boat that you're deciding that you're going to keep this because this is where I want to be? I don't want to do that. I don't want to step out and give my life over to God when He asks me to do things that take me outside of my comfort zone. I will participate with Jesus to a certain point, but don't ask me to get out of my boat because that's my comfort zone. Is it a boat of self-sufficiency or arrogance that says, I can do it. I don't need Jesus' help. I can keep paddling this boat and try to get to the other side. Is it that boat that, that keeps us from moving and stepping out because we are incapable, but we know that God is? Are you going to keep rowing or are you going to step out of the boat? Or is it a boat of rebellion? 
Is it things in my life that keep me tied to my boat, keep me tied to my anchors, keep me tied to those things in my life that I can't let go of to be able to do what God calls me to do? Is that the one that I live my life or my Christian life on Sunday and the rest of the week I really do whatever I want to? Or is it that boat of religiosity that I come to church and I'm okay, but I don't ask me to do anything else? Don't ask me to step out in faith and go talk to somebody who needs to know about God. Don't ask me to step out and forgive somebody who really hurt my feelings. Oh, but I go to church, so I'm good. So the question is, what's your boat? What's your boat? Are you going to stay with the 11 in the boat? Or are you going to step out of the boat like Peter? Jesus, I believe Jesus asked every one of us in the storms of life, wherever we find ourselves, and we've said, Jesus, I believe in you and I believe it's you. And he says, come to me, which means you've got to step out of the boat. Are you going to step out or not? Because if we don't, we may be like the 11 and not like Peter. Peter gets a bad rap because we know that the moment Peter steps, Peter's going to step out of the boat. We remember the story as it continues on that Peter steps out and he gets distracted and he begins to sink. When Peter steps out of the boat, he he logically knows that when his feet hit the water, he's going under. But when his feet hit the water, he does not go under. And he walks, and the text says he walks towards Jesus. I don't know if that's one step. I don't know if that's two steps. I don't know if that's ten steps. I don't know if that's twenty steps. But we know that Peter went from the boat, stepping out into a liquid state that was now a solid state for him, and he walks towards Jesus. He took those steps towards Jesus. And so he got out of the boat. But we give him a bad rap. But he got out. The rest didn't. So when it comes down to Jesus, say, come. Are you going to step out? Are you going to stay in the boat? But we do know the story. And he did step out. And he walked towards Jesus. And all of a sudden, it says, then Peter noticed. He noticed the storm. He noticed the waves. He noticed the wind. And what happened? He began to sink. I don't know if it was an instantaneous he sank or he began to kind of, the more he noticed, the, the higher the water got. But we know that in one moment, he was being submerged in water. But get this. Peter walking on water was part of the miracle that was going on. And Peter begins to sink. And when Peter begins to sink, it's his distractedness that keeps him from walking. Not Jesus, not the storm, not the winds, because they were all the same through the whole thing, except that he lost his focus. So it leads me to another question. What distracts you from doing what Jesus calls you to do? Is it your work? Is it that work that we have that keeps us so busy that we keep distracted off of the goals and the processes and the miracles that God wants us to participate in? Or is it pleasure and entertainment? Is it going on vacations? Is it going here? Is it going there? Having fun doing this? Is, are those the distractions that keep me from doing miracles? Like walking on water with Jesus? 
could be family. Sometimes our family distracts us just as much as other things. It could be situations. It could be illness. There's a lot of things that could distract us. So the question becomes, what distracts us? When we begin to think about Jesus saying, come to me and I will do great things through you. We're like, oh, I tried. But then I got distracted over here and I got distracted over there and we began to sink. Just like Peter. And when Peter began to sink, one thing he does do is he calls out to God. He calls out to Jesus. And he says, Jesus, I'm sinking. Come to my rescue. He says, Lord, save me. And immediately, it says, the text says, and immediately Jesus reached out, took him by the hand, and held on to him. And he says, Peter, oh, ye of little faith. Do you think Jesus drugged Peter sinking back to the boat? No, I don't think so. Doesn't say. But I believe as soon as he picked up Peter, Peter was once again standing on the water. And we know that, that Peter had walked towards Jesus. So therefore, they're not right next to the boat. So what are they going to do? They're going to have to walk together back to the boat to get where they need to be. So Peter, after calling out and crying out to the Lord, the Lord saves him. And when they get in the boat, the storm calms. Peter walked on the water in the storm, not in the calm. Because when he gets back in the boat with Jesus, it says the water calms. And when they get back in the boat, the water calms and they truly began to worship because of what God has done through his son. Peter, outside of Jesus, is the only person to have ever walked on water. Yeah, he was distracted and he began to sink. But none of the others could ever say, I walked on water. But Peter did. Did Peter do anything special? No. He just followed the command when God called him to reach out. I'll tell you a story about another man who walked on water, not really, but there's a guy named Isaiah Jackson. Well, he's already gone on to be, the, be with the Lord. He was a young man in a prison camp in Sudan. And while in this prison camp as a teenager, he became a Christian. He became a Christian, he began to study about God, and he felt that he needed to learn a little bit more. As a political asylum, he ended up in Houston, Texas, where he ran into a guy who taught him about being a true disciple of God. And he actually sent him to Sunset. Bill Yasko sent him to Sunset. He got his training at Sunset. And when he was done training, he felt that this need he had, that God was asking him to go back to that war-torn area of Sudan to be able to reach people for the gospel because he had been given something that they didn't have. And so he abandoned all his freedoms, he abandoned all the safety, and he went back to Sudan. 
When Isaiah Jackson died about 10 years ago, he had baptized over 5,000 people because he stepped out of his boat to go do what Jesus asked him to do. What can Jesus do with you if you'll step out of your boat? Because he's there in the storms of your life, in the difficulties of life. He says, come. If you will step out of that boat, when Jesus is extending his hand, his call to you, you will see miracles in the lives of the people around you. If you'll step out of the boat, you will experience miracles and change in your life that you never thought were possible. You will walk on water in the sense that you will do marvelous things for God. And if you fall, Jesus will rescue you. And you'll walk back through the storms of life with Jesus. Jesus will give you special moments that only you will experience. But only if you step out in faith to do what he knows he's calling you to do. And if you will step out in faith at whatever he's calling you to do, whether that's go knock on the door of someone you know is hurting whether that's to hold a Bible study with somebody, whether that's to preach a sermon, whether that's to lead singing, whether that's to go counsel a young lady who needs help, whatever you, he's asking you to do, when that storm is coming, if you will step out of the boat, many will come to know him. It's not about you, but it is about Jesus who asks you or basically tells you, come. So as Jesus asks, will you come when he calls? Because he reached out to save you. Now will you let him use you to save others? If you need the prayers of the congregation, come as we stand and sing. Would you be free?